Welcome to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karin Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. Hi, Bob. So good to see you. Hi, Karin. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, well, welcome to Momnificent. And um, thank you again for taking the time to join me today. I'm so excited about our topic that we're going to discuss together on the power of calm, ways to take care of ourselves, self-care, uh, the role of emotions in our life, and how to uh, embrace and experience calm in a beautiful way uh, with something that maybe those listening may have heard of a word called havening. And if not, we're going to find out and learn more today. So Bob, I always love starting out by asking my guests, what's one thing you've done recently that you haven't done for a while that just brings you joy? Well, I would say most recently was a side trip. Um, I was teaching in France with my wife and we took a few extra days after we were done with teaching uh, to go to visit Amsterdam. And I had never been there before. And all we did was tour around the city and eat a lot. So that oh was my gosh. That a lot of fun. Oh, that's so cool. I've heard of uh, people that I know have traveled to Amsterdam and love it. It's it is. It's a beautiful, clean city that's both modern and, you know, really old at the same time, depending on where you go. Clean, oh, so people friendly, everybody speaks English fun place. Right? Yeah, that's always helpful. Because probably in France, you were like, oh, gosh, I mean, do you know French? Not, not a word. So we had a translator <laughs> with us. Oh, okay. Yeah, you probably would need one. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, that's so fun. I love traveling. And my goal is my dream is to travel the world. So I've been to France, but Amsterdam definitely still on my bucket list. Uh, so let's jump right into this, Bob. Last week, uh, you spoke at Dr. Celia's International Day of Calm Summit, which was so exciting. I celebrated at school with my students. I started the day on the morning announcements with a chime, inviting everybody to take three mindful breaths. I mean, it was so cool uh, to the point that the next day, two teachers came to me and they were like, can today be day of calm too? Because I need it again. Like I was just just ecstatic. So can you first tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, maybe how it brought you to the work that you do today? Sure. So, yeah, my background, my academic training and background is as a cultural anthropologist. And you might, of course, ask the question, well, what is, how does that speak to, uh, to the people that are listening? So I hope to answer that. Um, early on, I had an interest in alternative spiritual practices. So when I was in junior high, I was practicing yoga and meditation, getting up at five o'clock in the morning, which today is not that big a stretch because there's yoga literally on every street corner. There's a yoga right. studio. But trust me when I tell you, when I was 12 years old, it was very hard to find anybody to, to learn yoga from. So at any rate, I, you know, I developed this interest and didn't even have an explanation of why. And at the time, like a few years later, when I looked back on it and I said, wow, why was I into yoga and meditation and all that is at such a young age? 
and I, I I formed the conclusion that it must have been, oh, maybe I was born into it in a past life, or you know, I came up with all these all these explanations. But now when I look back on it and I say, what is it that made a 12 year old that interested right. in yoga and meditation? And the answer that I would give you now that I, I, I can look at my life in a different way, in a critical way, is to say that it must have been the fears that I had in my life as a child. Same. And, Same. and because of those fears, I wanted an alternative. I wanted a safe place to retreat to. And that and and you felt that. I felt that. You, you got yes. to that place. In, I did in, in their, your did. experiences of yoga and meditation. Wow. That's awesome. Yes, but That's I'm going to awesome. also tell you what I think was wrong about my approach at the oh, okay. time. Okay. At the time, what I thought was, you know, emotions must be the enemy. Because, you know, when we experience a roller coaster of emotions, we, we tend to suffer, especially when the roller coaster hits those bottom places. And so I thought, well, meditation is a way to escape from the world of emotions, that if I could somehow just hit a steady state, everything would be fine. And that was the solution that I sought at the time. And I thought that all these spiritual practices were all about that kind of an escape, that kind of a, a place where you wouldn't experience fluctuations at all. And so I, I went to India when I was in college as part of my studies. Um, I was interested in Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, you know, all kinds of Asian philosophies and different ways of looking at the world. And my intention was to go on to uh, do field work in Asia. And for a variety of reasons that I don't have time to go into during this podcast, but if you want the whole story, go to my website. Um, oh, but at any and rate, please go to his website. Those of you who are listening, I went to Bob's website and be prepared. I mean, it may not happen to you, but I got tears in my eyes because what he says on there is so precious and beautiful and the real reasons of, of why we're here in our life. Okay, sorry, a little commercial. Love your website. At any rate, um, so I, I my, my entire life took a strange turn when I went to graduate school, because I didn't get into the program that I thought I was going to get into. I ended up going to the University of Oklahoma instead of the University of Hawaii at the East West Center where I thought I was going to go. So to make a long story short, I found myself in Oklahoma and I needed to do ethnographic fieldwork, which is the branch of cultural anthropology where you study one culture in depth. Oh, wow. And I my area of interest specifically was the intersection of healing and spirituality, where those two things meet. And again, long, long story, to make a long story short, I met an old man named Oliver Pataponi, who was the last medicine man of the Comanche tribe, and he eventually adopted me. Um, it, that's the word that anthropologists use and that they use, but it it's not a formal adoption, but he he came to refer to me as his grandson, and I would refer to him as my grandpa. And he taught me a lot of things. He, he taught me an entire understanding that I've spent my, my life unpacking of what Carl Jung calls the wounded healer. And I, I didn't come to realize it until much later that my interest 
and healing was because of the wounds that I needed to heal in my own life. And so it took me to Indian country. It took me to Oklahoma, which is the home of 39 different tribes of Native Americans. And over the course of the time that I spent there, I was adopted into a number of families in a number of different tribes, which in itself was part of the the healing that I didn't even realize that I was in need of. You know, I came from a, a broken family, I guess you could say, you know, my parents were divorced when I was a baby. I was raised by my grandmother who was largely, you know, working and not around. So I had an isolated life. My father was an only child. My mother only had one brother. So it was basically me or, you know, at times me and my grandmother. And then I came to have all of these families, this huge support network, which has been an amazing blessing in my life. I also came to understand the healing power of community, what it means to be a part of an extended family and how that support aids us in our own personal journey. Mm-hmm. So from there, I went on to learn not only about the, the ways of the, the Southern Plains and other tribes that are in Oklahoma, but eventually I came to learn and study a system of healing called curanderismo, which mm-hmm. is from ancient Mesoamerica, what we now know as Mexico and Guatemala, that, that general area. Okay. And it was in that that I came to really a new understanding of what the emotions are all about. And rather than think of the emotions as an enemy, as I did in my early times of turning to yoga and meditation, I came to understand that our emotions are the key to so much of our life. Now, what the problem is when emotions get stuck. Not that we have the emotions. You you can argue that there's no such thing as a bad emotion, but what there is, is a negative way of being caught up in emotions. So Mm -hmm. things like fear, doubt, uh, self-judgment, jealousy, anger. I mean, you could list a whole bunch of what we often term negative emotions, many of them protect us from harm. But the problem is when we get stuck with a particular emotion or cluster of emotions. And it's like, Mm. uh, I'll make a reference to an old time record player. And you know how, you know, the grooves in the record are what the needle goes into that plays the song. But if you have a record that has a scratch in it, what sometimes happens is it gets caught in the groove. And you'll hear that over and over and over again. And that's kind of what our internal lives can be. That's good. That we get stuck with certain emotions. And the problem isn't the emotion itself. It's the fact that we can't move that emotion. We haven't allowed it to move through us so that we can go back to calm. And that's why what I say is that it's important that we articulate, we talk about the emotions that we're feeling. We talk Mm -hmm. about the emotions that we would prefer to have and then do the things that can calm us down. So this is part of what I do in work one-on-one with people who work with me and part of what I do in the classes that I teach in various healing uh, disciplines. 
And we're going to talk more about stepping into the role of emotions in a few minutes here. Um, but you know what? Um, I'm just pulling up on my phone. You know how I said on the pre-call that phrase on your website that just brought me to tears this morning. And, and I'm just going to read it because maybe someone listening right now, they need to hear this. And it it, it says, um, and I'm going to say it wrong, Padoni? Padoni. Padoni. Had a pony. Had a, uh-huh. He said, I think the first part you said, and then he said this, but that's okay. Well, I'll say the whole thing. When a person is healed, there is an obligation to give back to the community. And whatever it was that healed you will become the power that will use in healing other people for the remainder of your days. I love that. Absolutely love that. Um, hold on, there's let me, yeah, little passage. There's a lot in that passage, you know, in, in his case, there, again, there's a long story, but I'll just give you the very, the very brief version of it. Okay. He was, uh, as an old man, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer and he was in the hospital. And one morning a doctor came in and he said, you know, we doctors had a, a series of of meetings about your case. And what we've decided is that that there's nothing left that we can do for you. He said, if you wanna stay here in the hospital, we can try to ease the pain that you have, but we've exhausted everything that we know to do. So his wife and his son came in and he, he said to them, the doctors gave up on me here. I want you to take me out there to the hills and leave me out there. And he decided to do something called, um, well, he didn't use the term, but a lot of times anthropologists and other people use the term vision quest to talk about an encounter that a person has with the forces of nature, where you go up with no food and no water, no companionship, Uh, nothing but you in the elements for a span of time that you've decided on. And in his case, he went to a place of known power, a place that is sacred to his people in the Wichita Mountains in Southwest Oklahoma. And he had an experience, again, more than I have time to go into now, but somehow a fire hit him during this experience. And it cured his cancer. So he never had the cancer again. One day after he was walking down the road in this little town that he lived outside of uh, called Apache, Oklahoma, and an old old Comanche medicine woman saw him on the street. And she looked at him and she said, what happened to you? And he said, nothing. What do you mean? She said, there's something different about you. And he didn't, he wasn't inclined to talk about it. So he kind of shrugged it off, oh, nothing. And she said, no, no, there's something different about you, I can tell. So he told her the story about what had happened. And she said, you know, you may not realize it right now, but you're good for something. And sometime soon, you're gonna find out exactly what that is. And so he started thinking about the things that he had seen when he was a boy. And, you know, he was born 
probably about 1898. We're not really sure exactly what year he was born because they didn't really keep track of records back then. But as a boy, he was watching these old medicine men, the things that they would do and the way that they would not only doctor somebody, but they would perform feats that would seem impossible as a way of changing the beliefs of the people who were there watching to know that big change is possible. I mean, that's essentially what it was for. And slowly it came to him how he was supposed to do this work. And that became his obligation in giving back was to doctor people who would come to him, not only Native Americans, but all kinds of people who heard about him would just show up at his home. Wow. That's why I say that whatever it is that healed him became his medicine. And that's why whatever it is that is your biggest problem, your biggest challenge in life can also be your medicine and your key to how to be there for other people. I absolutely love that. Well, we could stop right now because that was just like, I, I got tears in my eyes again. This is so, this is so special. This is so precious. Um, and I'm going to have to invite you back on because we're not going to have enough time to get to all three of the points that we, we, we said on the pre-call we would talk about, but let's, let's, let's dive into this for just a minute. Your topic at the international day of calm summit last week was the healing power of calm. And what else can you tell us about that? Maybe when it comes to time management, I feel like we all seek that space and place of calm and yet we're running 110 miles an hour our schedules are packed back to back how do we get do you have any tips you can leave us with today i do i definitely do and part of it is part of it is identifying values identifying what what is important to you now if your well-being is so far down on the list that you never get to take care of yourself. You know, I, I, I think of in, in curanderismo, what a lot, of the, a lot of the teachers that I've had over the years have, have referenced being on an airplane where they tell you that you take the oxygen mask in the event of an emergency, you take the oxygen mask yeah. and put it on yourself first so that you're in a position to help your child. And I would say to, all of the moms who are listening to this podcast, that's, that is a metaphor for understanding your life in general. And if you put yourself so far down on that list that you never take care of yourself, are you really able to take care of your child? Are you really able to be responsible in the best way possible? Well, I would argue, no. So what might seem like, like being selfish is actually the most selfless act that you can do to make sure that you are well in everything that that means is critical to your being the best parent you can possibly be. So when we talk about time management, what we're really talking about is values. What do I attach value to? And part of that is having a space for peace and calm in your own life. Now, you may not be able to find it 
in the middle of racing to get your child to school, going back to your job. You know, there, there are all of these other things that are competing for your attention and your time. And I'm not saying that I can change any of those things. But what I can say is that if you make it a priority to carve out some time in your day, every day, that is for you and for your well-being, that it'll pay off in every other aspect of your life. Beautiful. So that's where the, that's where the time management comes in. I think now, as far as, as the emotions come in, part of that time can be spent asking yourself, well, what are the emotions that I experienced today? Okay. Not that I, you know, maybe you're in traffic and you have road rage for a second and you let it go and you think, ah, you know, I'm on to something else. But the point is, it, it registered in your emotional life. And one of the thing, one, another way that I, I like to understand it is that what we would consider negative emotions, that each time you have one, it's like dust settling on you. And then you have something else happen. And it's a little more dust settling on you. And I mean, any one incident is no big deal. But over time, the accumulation of all of that emotional um, uh, distress, I would say, that emotional distress, it, it has an impact on you. And in curanderismo, what we say is that virtually any illness or imbalance that you can imagine in life comes back to an imbalance in emotions. Oh, wow. So what do I do with that on a daily basis? Well, I, I reflect back on my day or my half a day and I say, what are the emotions that I felt? So rather than push it down, I, the other, another comparison I like to make that is that it's like whack-a-mole, you know, the <laughs> game whack-a-mole where you, you, know, you pound down the mole and you think you got rid of it, but it pops up somewhere else. And that's the way that our emotions are. Yeah, so true. We can push it down, whack the mole there. It's going to pop up somewhere else in our life. For example, you know, you find yourself yelling and screaming at, at your child or your spouse. And then you say, well, where did that come from? Well, right. that's where it came from. Yeah. So we look at our emotions. We, we examine them. We, we say, okay, is this one that I've had habitually? And even write it down, even have a, um, have a journal where you keep track of where did my emotions go today? And then ask the question, well, if these are disempowering emotions, what are some of the emotions that I would like to feel on a regular basis? And when do I feel them? When do I have a chance to enjoy myself? When do I get to feel in touch with myself rather than all of my attention going out to somebody else, when does it come back in? Because our emotions are also tied into our energy. And I don't mean energy in a woo-woo way, I mean energy in the, the way that we experience our lives. Do I feel vitality of life or do I feel drained? And those emotions are often the drain that we're talking about. So to review, time, dedicated to oneself, reflection on emotions. What are the habitual emotions that I don't want to feel? What are a few that I felt today? 
And then how do I examine that and bring my myself into a state of calm? So a couple of, couple of easy ways. One way is by simply changing the pattern of breath. One of the things that we know is that, that whatever the emotion that you're feeling at a particular time is reflected in the rate of your breathing. So normally we're a victim in that process. I feel something from the outside world and it impacts the way that I breathe. That's, true. That's why That's the true. polygraph, for example, the lie detector test works because I've got something going on internally that is reflected in my physiology. So if it works that way, it works in the reverse as well. I can change my physiology in order to change the way that I feel. So simply taking, you know, one way that you could do it is take two minutes, literally two minutes. You can change the way that you feel in two minutes. Ask yourself, what am I feeling? What would I rather feel? And then look at your, look at your, your clock or your watch. Do 15 cycles of 15 second inhalations, 15 second exhalations. So one breath is 30 seconds. Do that four times. That's two minutes. Okay. And you can shift it in that amount of time. That's one way. And then another way is a practice called havening, which I think that you know about already, Karin, but for our observers and listeners, havening is a modern neurosensory way to induce a state of calm. And it was originate, it was created by a doctor and a dentist, two brothers, the Rudin brothers, who were interested in Chinese medicine. They were interested in tapping. They were interested in EMDR and a whole bunch, whole host of different modern therapeutic ways of inducing a state of calm. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, all of these theories, all of these practices, they're kind of complicated. Let's try something even simpler. And so havening was a way to, what it, what it literally means is to create a haven. Because when we feel fear, when we undergo trauma, we have a sense of being in a helpless situation where I am so vulnerable that I experience panic. Mm -hmm. And havening is to quickly create a safe haven, a place to go to where I will not feel the sense of being vulnerable and easily harmed. Yeah. And the way the way that we do it, and you know, any mom out here, I think is going to be able to identify with this. When you have a child who is feeling fearful, panicking about something, you want to nurture them, you want to protect that little child. And what do you do? You, you cradle the child's face with your hands and maybe you stroke the child. Well, that has a direct physiological effect. That's what these, these people who did the research on havening found is that there is an, a, a shift within a few minutes in brainwave state and entire physiology, but it induces a state of delta brainwaves right away. So how do we do it? Well, it couldn't be any simpler than it is.
Now you can do this to the other person. So if you're a mom, you're doing this to your child. And and maybe those who are listening can't see what Bob yeah, is doing. I'll, so we'll explain so you it. Could you could well, you could describe what I'm well, yeah, I'll so describe. He, yeah, go ahead. Take so start. I'm taking palms. I start out on my forehead. I I go up to my hairline. I come down, stroke the sides of my face. Then I can start just below my eyes, work out around the cheeks, come down under my chin. And then another one is my palms. I rotate my hands back and forth, just sliding my palms gently. But it's important that you have a certain degree of, of pressure so that you feel the, the sensation of skin against skin. I can do it like this. I can rotate my palms while I'm doing it. I go back to the to my forehead, to my cheeks. But basically it's those three. Some people go further with it on the back of the head and go from the forehead all the way to the back of the head as well. But really the three main um, techniques are uh, from the brow line up to the hairline and down and from under the eyes down to the chin and the hands back and forth. Love it. Now you can, in, in two minutes, you can literally feel a shift in your physiology. Yeah. So there's a quick crash course in what to do with your life. <laughs> I love it. You did it. You fit it in. And, and, and this is perfect timing. So Bob, how can someone find and follow you? Well, it's very simple. I hope you'll go to my website, www.bobvetter.com. So it's B-O-B-V like victory, E-T-T-E-R, bobvetter.com. There's a bunch of free resources there, by the way. Um, there are articles there. There are videos there. There's a game even. You know, we didn't have a chance to talk about this, but if I'm back on, we might talk sometime about Susto which is described as um, magical fright or soul fright. And these are experiences, I won't go into it now, but I, I designed a game based on how the sustos of your life, it's a board game, believe it or not, and how the sustos of your life are either an opportunity to backslide or to have tremendous growth, emotional, psychological and spiritual growth. So the game takes you through that process, through the, the stages of life, the challenges that we have, and how each difficulty that we can call susto is an opportunity to either go backwards or to grow even further. Wow, I love it. All right, Bob, we'll- Oh, my podcast. Let me plug that if you don't mind. Yes. podcast called the healing and spirituality in world cultures. And you can access that directly on my website or find it on iTunes and everywhere that podcasts are found. Yes. And we'll put all the descriptions and those links in the description of the show notes. Uh, Bob, thank you so much. That's all we've got for this episode of the Momnificent podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it. I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.